0: morning has rolled around one more time. Thanksgiving is in the rearview mirror and around our waistline as well. Hope you enjoyed both. Um, I enjoyed Thanksgiving. You know, that lasting reminder of Thanksgiving, though, that usually takes about, what, including Christmas, about three months to get rid of, if you get rid of it. That's the part that is tough. But I hope you had a great Thanksgiving holiday. How about the week, huh? I mean, boy. We hit winter, full on, in a hurry, as Mother Nature came into the valley and said, uh, okay, enough of this nice, warm, beautiful, I guess it wasn't Indian summer, but certainly it was a a wonderful fall. Enough of that, and uh, we are now ready to uh, bring you full-scale winter. And we got it from uh, Mother Nature, and it looks as though she's going to continue to... uh, Grace us with that, I guess, for some time to come, which means that obviously fishing is going to change a little bit. I would think, you know, we haven't had the super cold weather, but ice fishing is on the horizon. We're also going to learn today more about Utah's newest blue ribbon fishery. That's right, a new one coming online, or maybe it's coming back online. We're going to talk a little bit about that as well. And for those of you who joined the program last week, you got a preview to it. But we're going to talk more about that a little bit later in the program. But it is good news, especially for those of us who like to fish warm weather. Uh, That doesn't mean that you can't fish... uh, um, you have to fish just the one species that really it's known for. But we've also got a crappie and bluegill in the same body of water. And all of those things are going to, uh, are going to come back and, uh, and be good now that we've been able to, uh, to return this fishery to where it should be. Uh, we're going to talk a few things. Uh, you know, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the black bear situation. You remember that? We talked about hibernation last week and, and how bears were uh, starting to, uh, they'd already started denning up and they, they had last year come out of hibernation early or come back late rather and gone maybe a little bit early this year uh, because of the, uh, the weather and because of our, uh, our sunlight penetration and things of that nature. Well, uh, just to let you know that the division of wildlife resources and we we heard how good the bear population was Uh, They've decided to make a few changes. The division is proposing a couple of changes to the number of permits for this coming hunting and pursuit season. Uh, They're looking for your feedback on that. Back in 2018, the Wildlife Board approved the permit numbers and the season structure for bear hunting in Utah for the next three years. And you remember last week we spoke about that. But... There are um, a larger number of people who uh, want to pursue them on some hunting units, mule deer populations on one deer unit, um, clarifications about fair chase. All of those things have prompted some recommended changes. And in addition, I think the bear population of the state, the black bear population of the state has um, has prompted these these changes as well. Um, for example, the uh, the LaSalle, San Juan, and Bookcliffs unit, 75 pursuit permits are available for each unit of those. Only 10% are going to be available to non-residents. That's going to be a change. They propose to limit the number of dogs that can be used to pursue or harvest a single bear or a mountain lion to 16. Large uh, groups of dogs above 16 will not be allowed. They propose the retaining the eight-dog limit for the, strump- uh, the uh, restricted summer pursuit. Suit seasons, and then there's some changes in the rule to clarify that a person can't pursue a single bear or mountain lion in repeated pursuits where it could be, uh, make the animal so tired that it's unable to escape. So those are uh, fair chase rules that are, are proposed to be changed. Um, they've recommended an increase of 30 spot and stock permits in the fall for the uh, Plateau and Boulder Kuiperowitz unit. All of these things, that would bring the total, by the way, to 50. Uh, this would address the concern about mule deer populations there. They've recommended an increase of five permits for the summer bait season on the Plateau, Boulder, Kaiparowicz unit, which brings that permit to 17. And and the reason for this, according to Darren DeBlois who, who joined us last week, he said we wanted to implement some of the changes to address the concerns about fair chase and the resource damage during the pursuit season for bears and mountain lions. Uh, he said he thinks these recommendations are going to help with that. So this has been proposed. They want you to uh, get a hold of the Division of Wildlife Resources and um, and let them know how you feel about this because it is a change. It is going to require for some people who who pursue these, uh, the bear especially, and the mountain lion, it's going to require some changes in how they do things. The size of the dog pack uh, pursuit will be obviously an important thing, and that's something that uh, uh, that will be coming on board. So if you've got a feeling about this, and again, remember last week we talked with Darren about the number of bears, the population. He thought it was pretty stable. Didn't know that we would uh, have a, a change proposed at that point in time, or at least wasn't ready to, to reveal that to the public. But it looks as though in the last week or so that we've had that, um, that discussion at the biological level with the state. And they've decided that it is time to make some changes, both because of population and also because of the way things are being conducted and are being done. There are a couple of other changes that are going on that uh, the division has proposed. One of them, uh, again, we we go through these uh, changes as, as, what, I guess we look at different areas of the state not only in population when we're talking about animals, but also when we're talking about our fisheries, because the fisheries continue to get worked on. And as they do, we've got um, limits that need to be changed. Sometimes we have uh, areas that are going to be, uh, you know, waters are going to be treated. So we release and we and we take the uh, the limits off certain waters. We're going to have a couple of those happening right now. One of the limits is um, uh, one of the areas is going to be uh, the new Blue Ribbon area, and we're going to talk about that. Uh, But the daily fish limit has been removed at Wasatch Mountain Community Pond because they've got uh, infrastructure repair. Goldfish were added to that. You know, Wasatch Mountain is one of those great kid fisheries, obviously. It's easy access, uh, just above Midway. But the daily bag limit was removed on the 19th of November because uh, anglers can now keep and catch as many fish as they want during the maintenance work that's going on right now. Uh, It is an emergency change because the uh, the goldfish that were put in there, um, it was put in... The uh, the t- the 2019 and 2020 fishing guidebook. It was listed as an emergency change. Uh, gives anglers the opportunity to catch more trout and wiper the pond. They're draining that pond because of the infrastructure work. It's going to be dredged. They're going to put a fishing pier in there, so it's going to be obviously a lot nicer. The deeper water is going to uh, going to make it. Um that they'll be able to have more holdover fish in there. Also they're going to make this ADA, Americans with Disability Act accessible. But in order to uh, to drain that pond, in order to remove the goldfish that were placed there illegally, they found them in the spring of this past year. But they think they've been in there longer. But uh, it is one of those species, again, please do not do this to uh, to our community ponds. The community ponds are particularly susceptible to this because, because they are viewed as maybe not such a, um, what, an important fishery or a hardcore fishery, but community ponds are one of those things that has really helped our kids and has really helped with the uh, ability to get access to fishing. You know, it used to be you could uh, take your bike and probably ride down the street and find a pond and have bluegill. That, that has gone now with the exception of community ponds. But the change for removing the bag limits are going to be in effect until December 31st of next year. So that's next year, not this December 31st. That bag limit that uh, there is no bag limit is going to be removed on that pond in Wasatch Mountain is going to be effective until December 31st of next year. All the other rules uh, have have not been changed, but this is one that you will want to check the proclamation again when you get the new proclamation for 2020, and just put that as a note right now that... um, uh, you can keep as many fish as you can catch in the uh, Wasatch Mountain State Park. Listen, we're going to uh, we're going to step aside, we're going to take the break when we come back, George will do- join us and so will Gary and we'll start with our fishing report and find out what the heck is going on. I think Gary got a little bit of sunshine last week if I'm not mistaken. He's sporting this new sunburn. Yeah, it's not a tan, not when you have the skin he's got. It is a sunburn, or about 400 more freckles added to the total. Stick around. We'll be back. And we are back. Second segment... And uh, George Summer ready to join us. Inappropriately named for his last name this week. It should be George Winter. <laughs> I'll tell you, George, <laughs> boy, did we ever get slammed? I, I don't know about you and our listeners out there, but there was something about my psyche that was not even close to ready for what we experienced this past week.
1: Well, and I was in the same boat. You know, it's like we, we've, we've been lulled into this sense of, of warmth, I guess. You know, we had that Indian <laughs> summer that lasted a long oh. time. And then, bam, you know, it's it's winter. And uh, uh, yeah, I wasn't ready for it, but I'm still not ready for it. No, me
0: either. And, and I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. The only thing it did do, I guess, was kind of uh, set the stage for Thanksgiving. But that weather was just... Uh, I mean, it was the slap-up side of the head that we all knew intrinsically was coming, but I don't think anybody was really ready for. Uh, and and it certainly changed the fishery and the outlook for what's going on.
1: It, you know, it did. Uh, there's still great fishing to be had. The challenge is you know, getting through that weather. Um, dealing with uh, some of our roads and some of our drivers to get to that fishing location. Um, but the, the rivers are still flowing, there's still fish to be caught in the rivers. Um, nothing down here is frozen yet, right? Um, so you can still, you know, if you're brave, you can launch a boat <laughs> or you can walk the bank, and, and the, the water's cooling off enough that those fish ought to be close enough you can catch them. Um, you just got to get there
0: to do it. You know, I, I think you're absolutely right. And rivers, this is probably a good time of year to start thinking river fishing, even for those of us who like to fish mostly still water because we're too darn lazy to, to walk the river banks. You, on the other hand, uh, have gotten, you know, you're at that point in your life where you're still, you've still got enough get up and go to do that. Uh, some of us have just gotten a little bit more sedentary. But this is a good time to walk the river banks if you don't have to fight a lot of snow. You can uh, you can walk those banks, and as you said, those fish are reachable for the most part.
1: Yeah, they are, you know, and, and it you know even if you have to put waders on, typically you're not going to stand in the water for a very long. Right. Ride. Um, you can get to where the fish are and, and still catch some fish, and there's still stuff going on. You know, it, it, uh, I would uh, I planned on going out throwing streamers. Um, <laughs> Would you know? I thought, uh, you know, the way everybody drives and the snow and stuff, and, and it's a good thing I didn't because they had like 350 crashes on my day off so.
0: I wasn't one of them, thank goodness. Yeah, I noticed the the numbers kept ticking up and up and up as the uh, division of the highway patrol guys kept uh, uh, answering call after call. And I saw some of those videos on the air of guys, uh, highway patrol guys, hopping over the barrier to avoid being hit by skidding cars. That doesn't sound like much fun. And of course, obviously, most of the places that we go to fish are on roads that are not the greatest. I mean, you're up at elevation; it does mean you've got some issues to deal with there. Uh, but but if you're careful and if you really do want to catch some fish, there is a good opportunity to pick up some nice fish still for this for the remaining couple of weeks before things hopefully get a little bit of hard water.
1: Well, and it sounds like you know we're we're uh, going into the, the week here. It's supposed to be what normal temperatures, I guess. Yeah. So, we may start making ice and and I know there's a lot of people anxious to go ice fishing and some people have been up and up uh, you know up in the u n is doing some ice fishing uh, I'm not there yet, but um I think we're going to have a once it comes on we're going to have some killer ice fishing.
0: So let's talk about what we expect fish to be doing here in the next couple of weeks because the water is still uh, pretty much unseasonably warm in most of our our lakes uh, and reservoirs because this cold weather, I mean, it will change the the conditions pretty quickly, but it it still takes a couple of days or a week or so to get all that water mixed up. Uh, But we do expect the water to cool off. What does that that mixing of the water column, what's that going to do to where those fish will be distributed? Well,
1: typically, they're gonna they're gonna find probably the most the warmest to them um, spots, and usually that's below the thermocline, and that's where ice fishing comes in handy, is because you can exploit that thermocline, because um, you can go anywhere, just about anywhere on the ice, as long as it's safe and, and be able to get those fish. And once they get accustomed to that cooler water, then they'll come up and they'll start feeding as as insect life still comes off and things like that. Um, But uh, the first little while, it's going to be a bit of a challenge, and then then – once they get accustomed, uh, then, then the is going to
0: take off again. This is one of those times of year, and we talk about it all the time, but but f- in particular now where a fish finder can be really helpful to you because that water column, I mean, typically in most of our reservoirs, we're going to be fishing a water column of at least 45 to 50 feet in, in terms of depth. Even with our depth, our reservoirs being drawn down a little bit, you're going to have 50 to 60 feet. Those fish have a lot of places to hide a good uh, fish finder is going to show you where in that water column those fish most of them are going to be
1: yeah and, and you know once it becomes, you I get accustomed to interpreting that usually like on my fish finder it shows up as a line mm-hmm. and a lot of times it's a 20, 25 or 30 feet and you can see that line and you know that that's the thermocline and then when you typically when you find fish below that um, they may just be right below that thermocline you adjust your tackle to accommodate so you can catch those suspended fish below that thermocline
0: and thermocline we're talking about not only water temperature but but oxygen content of the water um, and where it's optimal for what those fish want
1: exactly that's a good way of explaining it and and then you know you make those adjustments and and that's why you know when i go ice fishing I take a fish finder with me so I can see what's going on. And a lot of times you can actually watch those fish come up and hit your lure as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it, it means right now both river and uh, stillwater fisheries, still good. Still good. You've got to be careful of the weather, obviously, and if you do want to put that boat out, especially if you've got an opportunity to garage that boat, don't necessarily put it away. I've fished clear up until the end of December uh, on, on places like Deer Creek and and, uh, and reservoirs like that, especially some of the ones along the Wasatch Front where you, your water is still soft and those fish are still actively feeding and uh, we've still got that opportunity i don't know how soon we're going to get hard water but if it stays soft don't disregard those and don't think about uh, gee it's going to be too much work to keep that boat floating and to uh, and maybe to drain it when we're done and you know just run it for a couple of minutes get that lower unit get the water pumped out of there it can really result in some great days of fishing still ahead if you if you're willing to put in just a little extra time before you put it away
1: you're 100% right. You know, I fished until the 23rd of December. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and uh, you know, add some, some because there's, number one, there's nobody else either brave or dumb enough to do it. <laughs> um, so you're usually by yourself, but um, there's some great opportunities to catch fish, and, and you, can, you just have to play it accordingly, dress warmly, make sure you wear your life jacket. Um, but, yeah, there's, and I, I think, you know, like Deer Creek, because Deer Creek, Typically takes a long time to, to freeze. Yeah, that you're probably going to be able to boat on Deer Creek for a
0: while. Yeah, I would think so. That wind that we get every day at Deer Creek, that is the bane of uh, fishermen all during the summer, and we curse it all the time. It's regular clockwork from about twelve thirty on. Uh, that really helps it not freeze. So that wind will keep that ice skimmed off of there, and uh, chances are that you will get into December significantly into December with still the opportunity to fish a, a place like like Deer Creek, and uh, have soft water and some willing fish.
1: Exactly. So the the key thing is to get out and go.
0: Well, on that note, that's probably about the best uh, final uh, word for the week that we could have from you, my friend. So, uh, as he said, get on out and go. George, thanks. We'll talk to you next Saturday, okay?
1: Sounds
0: good. Thanks, Steve. All right. George Summer with our, with our fishing, I guess, a little bit of a forecast this week. It's a little tougher to get out during the week when the weather is the way it is and the wind has been up and everything else. But uh, there is no question about it. We still have several weeks of good fishing ahead if, uh, if December runs true to form. Well, the music is the same, but I'm thinking we we may need, um, I don't know, a, a mariachi uh, band instead this week, because our little Opie has come back from south of the border down Mexico way.
2: Tan, oh. just to the freezing cold weather.
0: <laughs> it's not tan. I, as, I, as I said before, it is with your skin, your complexion, it is just another four or five hundred freckles.
2: <laughs> and it makes a beautiful tan when you push them
0: together. Push them all together. That's right. Hey, you just got back from Mexico, where you not only uh, enjoyed sun and great bass fishing, but you had some uh, some pretty fun folks to to uh, be fishing with as well. Yeah, you know what? What an awesome trip! We
2: had the opportunity to go down with Gary Yamamoto Custom Bait. He's been one of our awesome sponsors of the show for many many years. And this trip was all about uh, doing some filming of fishing, but launching a lot of their new products. And I'll tell you what, day number one, right out of the chutes, I had the opportunity to fish with the godfather of modern bass fishing, Roland Martin. Yeah. And it was, it did not
0: disappoint. He's unbelievable, isn't he?
2: He was so much fun. You know, I was really curious to see what he was going to be like. If, you know, a man that's accomplished as much as he has, if he would be just down to earth or, you know, whatever. And he was the most likable, friendly guy, you know, asking me more questions about, so what do you think? How should we do this? How do you, what are you going to fish with? And I'm thinking, dude, you're rolling Martin,
0: you know? <laughs> I want to know how many times he said, son, oh, son. How many times he... T- yeah,
2: every time he caught a fish, he'd set the hook and he'd be like, "Son, oh, it's good fish." Good fish.
0: <laughs> his,
2: his first fish of the morning was just short of nine pounds, and so when he let out, "Son," I was like, "Right on!" Dude. So it, <laughs> it was so much fun, you know. And then, you know, Roy Hawk, who you know many of our listeners may recognize that name. He's uh, from Salt Lake. He now lives in Havasu, but he's been. Fishing professionally, he fished the uh, Walmart Series, then the Bassmasters Elite, and right now he's fishing uh, Major League Fishing, and uh, which is on Discovery Channel. So he's he's super accomplished. It was really fun to be there with Roy as well. You know, to to see this guy who I actually did a show with Roy almost ten years ago, and in ten years he's gone from being a local, you know, top pro to you know, one of the elite competitors in professional fishing.
0: So, tell me where in Mexico were you? Where, let's tell our listeners where you were exactly.
2: We went back to Lake Bacarac, which, if you want to go fish um, one of the most amazing largemouth lakes probably in the world, um, it's in it's in Sinaloa, it's very safe, you're in the mountains up near Bacabarrito and it's they have a gorgeous resort there and you go out with a guide on you know these 18 19 foot aluminum boats that are well equipped and and you're just going to catch fours fives sixes all day long with eights nines and double digits that will that will be mixed in there every day it's just incredible
0: and and you spent how many days there
2: 7 days Ooh. of fishing yes so it was actually sunday to sunday and we fished monday through saturday night so so you know six days i couldn't even move when it was over (laughs) i was so tired and i got the chance to fish like i said roy hawk brandon card from the bassmasters elite series brett height out of arizona who fishes major league fishing and then brent ayler who um you know just won a million dollar tournament in the elite series just before he joined the uh, bat, or uh, major league fishing. So there you get this chance to fish with all these pros and learn from them. That was some, the coolest thing about the whole deal. Was uh, there's a rolling word deal and some <laughs> and uh, watching them rig their rods, rig their baits, how they fished it, how they approached water. They did not know. Yeah. And they just lit it up from start to finish. It was awesome.
0: You know, that that's the thing, and I, you mentioned it before I had a chance, but when you fish with somebody of that quality, and, you know, you, you have got such great knowledge to begin with, but you find yourself learning so much from these guys. I, I mean, they don't realize, I don't think, how much they know intrinsically, just, just basic habitual stuff. You talk about eliminating water, when they'll look at a, a, a lake, whether they look at it on on a map a topographical map and they look at depth changes in river channels and things like that or they just scan the horizon. You know, I know guys back in the early days before we had the uh, the the computer that we have now, they would fly over a lake, they would charter a, a light aircraft, fly over a lake for a big tournament and ju- and just look down and see where the sandbars were and see where the points were. You know, you you watch guys like that eliminate water in their mind that they know they're not going to waste their- their time on when they actually get on the water and start fishing.
2: Yeah. You know, it's really cool as well. You know, we've got these guides there from from the resort, and they've been fishing there for 30 years, so they kind of have a pattern where they're trying to get you on big fish, but what was really fun was to see, you know, uh, like I fished one day with Fletcher Shyrock, who is lives in Alabama. He's actually from Ohio. He used to race motocross, 250 nationals and supercross, and then got hurt, decided, you know what, I'm going to go fishing one day. Started bass fishing. A buddy introduced him to it. He's like, I like this better than motocross, and now he's a touring pro. And we went with him, and he, in our broken Spanish, we got this guy to go do what Fletcher wanted to do. And Because he, he was looking at the structure. He picked out a little pattern. We went and fished these little just isolated rock that he was looking at the shoreline, and every one we came to, had a big bass sitting on it, and he's like, this is what I would do in a tournament. I would say, I'm not going to fish any of this, even though there might be a few. I'm going to this rock, that rock, and within a short short time, we have this pattern going where the next day I did it, and it produced again. So you're right, what they, what they have intrinsically over years of fishing is so much fun, and, and that's really, tonight's show is, our, I'm going to do a whole series over the next few months, I've got some really good ones with Roland Martin and a bunch of these guys, but I'm going to start off tonight with Brandon Card from Tennessee, Bassmasters Elite uh, Pro, and you're going to watch him, dude, he throws the Alabama rig, which looks like an umbrella of wires with bass on them, <laughs> and he's just catching fish two at a time, you know, and doing fun stuff like that, which is so cool to watch. And uh, so that's, I think people will really like this. Yeah, it's not in Utah, but it's cold in Utah. We went down to Mexico, and it should get you fired up to go to Mexico and Bassditch.
0: Son, I can't wait to see it tonight. <laughs> it's gonna be a good one.
2: It's a good deal. It's a great deal, son.
0: i got to tell you this story, though. I, I fished the 1979 Bassmasters Classic, and caught uh, you know the big press bass for the day. Paid a thousand dollars, so I catch a smallmouth that goes six pounds thirteen ounces, and I'm with my uh, my my angler, my professional angler, because I'm fishing as a media member. And uh, I get beat by two ounces by Roland Martin's media member, but he catches a largemouth. And the word still is my two ounce shy Smalley should have trumped. His large mouth, but Roland got the thousand bucks, and so did his press angler, a thousand bucks apiece. So I like Roland Martin, but it has its limitations. So I'm going to watch tonight, <laughs> and I'll see how Roland Martin looks tonight compared to how he looked clear back in '79 when he cost me a thousand bucks.
2: Yeah, he's uh, he's aged, but he's done it
0: gracefully. <laughs> well, that's what fishing does for you. It doesn't count against yep. your life. So, hey, we'll check it out tonight at eleven oh five, right after talking sports on T V Channel Two. It is hooked on Utah, and glad to have you back. Uh, just don't flaunt that tan too bad, too much. Okay? Yeah
2: good to be back. I've got a lot of layers on. I'm still adjusting to the cold. And I'm, I hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving this week and just enjoy the rest of the weekend.
0: All right, brother. And we have no sympathy for your layers <laughs> and your cold. None whatsoever. All right, my friend. We'll check you out tonight.
2: All right, be safe, and uh, we'll talk to you next week.
0: All right, Gary Winterton Hooked on Utah. It's coming up tonight at 11.05. I'll tell you one thing. He's right, though. You get to fish with a guy like Roland Martin. Some of those early guys from the BASS, the Bass Tournament Trail, they are the ones that, uh, th- that are the pioneers for modern-day bass fishing and uh, that's where you learn patterning you learn the things that it, all of us really take for granted now when we fish bass those were the guys that actually developed it and uh, so what a great opportunity for Gary and as i said he has a lot of a lot of knowledge to begin with but you find yourself learning just so much from these guys and and they don't even realize they're teaching they are simply doing what it is that they figured out over the last 40 50 years works. And it doesn't matter whether you're in Mexico or Miami. You're going to catch fish if you do the things they do. So uh, despite the fact that it's, it's in Mexico, check out today, uh, tonight at 11.05, check out some of the things they do, and then apply them to your lake. Because I guarantee you, I've been with Roland Martin on Lake Powell, and he tears it up. So it doesn't matter where he is. It'll work in Utah as well. Listen, we'll step aside. We'll be back in just a minute. Final segment. We're going to follow up a story that we started Last week. And we are back. Third segment, final segment of the show on this uh, Thanksgiving weekend Saturday. But I hope you had a great Thursday and Friday and today. And maybe Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday and Sunday of last week too because I know a lot of folks who took the week off. If you were fortunate enough to do that, congratulations. For those of us uh, who didn't, uh, weren't quite so fortunate, we're just going to be envious, and that's all right too. But anyway, welcome back to the show. Uh, told you at the top of the show, I was going to tell you about or talk to you about the newest blue ribbon fishery here in the state of Utah. Now we've got a bunch of them. Of course, we know that the, we've got the Provo River, and that's always been one of our blue ribbon fisheries, but. This is a fishery that we actually spoke about last week, and I didn't realize when we had Greg Giacomaza on the uh, the line with us last Saturday. just uh, what a big deal was going on down at Gunlock Reservoir. He, remember, he told us that he had been out. He guided a few times on the reservoir, um, uh, that the uh, the fishing had come back, that uh, the Division of Wildlife Resources had poisoned the reservoir because of the problems with the, uh, the rough fish in there, and that they had then taken some fish from Sand Hollow and um, reestablished a population. All that stuff went on over the last couple of years, and that's great, but... Um, how big a deal it is and how successful it is, is really what we want to talk about today because um, it is a major fishery. It was always a major fishery, and it was a terrific fishery that uh, that was allowed to, uh, because of a little midnight transplanting, uh, went downhill, but it has come back. And if we take good care of this thing, we're going to have another great, and I don't mean just good, but a great fishery down in the southern part of the state, again, for bass. Because it's one of those lakes that just has all the the elements to be a great big bass reservoir. So without further ado, we uh, welcome in Faith Heaton-Jolly, who comes in and joins us to uh, to tell us more about this. She is the public information officer. Behind the scenes, she takes care of me on a weekly basis on this program uh, and is always finding uh, finding people for us to talk to and uh, guess what because of the holiday she gets to do it by herself this week so we give her a little bit of love and tell her thanks for joining us Faith um, thank you and let's talk about what's going on down there
3: yeah thanks for having me on and yeah like I mentioned sorry that it's me and not one of our biologists (laughs) It's okay to uh, take the weekend off um But, yeah, it's pretty exciting stuff. You know, we – every year our, you know, Blue Ribbons Fishery Council meets together, and they kind of determine, you know, different improvement projects at some of these water bodies across the state, as well as determining kind of what is the best in fishing um, that Utah has to offer. And, yeah, they met last Thursday uh, on the 21st and, yeah, determined that Gunlock Reservoir um, was going to be the newest – you know, kind of addition to that list. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's made a lot of improvements. Um, previously, Gunlock was one of the blue ribbon fisheries in this program. Um, but, yeah, like you kind of mentioned, because of the, you know, illegal introduction of some different fish, we had to, you know, treat that. And anyway, so it's it's kind of made that full recovery. It's come full circle, and it's been added back to the list to kind of be recognized as some of the best fishing that Utah offers.
0: And there are specific criteria, correct, that a fishery has to go through in order to be recognized as a blue-ribbon fishery. It's not just, well, we're going we're to call it a blue-ribbon because it's a great fishery. It has to go through, be reviewed, selected by the Blue-Ribbon Fisheries Advisory Council, um, and um, and then it's it's got to be determined that it's going to meet these requirements. It
3: does, yeah. There's a couple of kind of specific things. You know, not only does it have to offer kind of you know a high success rate of fishing, you know catching fish when you're fishing there, um, but yeah, it also just has to be kind of offer that overall quality outdoor experience. You know, whether that's kind of in a scenic area or it has you know great amenities. Um, it also has to kind of add some kind of economic benefit or value to the local communities around it. Um, and then just overall to be a really good habitat area for the fish species as well. So, yeah, there's a couple of things that go into it. Um, along with, like I said, the fishing, but also just kind of the overall environmental quality has to be pretty high.
0: And this group, this advisory council, is made up of uh, uh, 13 anglers who are appointed by the governor. So one of the good things that I like about it is that it is definitely angler-heavy as far as the uh, representation is concerned. This is is a group of our peers who have decided that this is going to receive this blue-ribbon designation. It's not necessarily, nothing wrong with the government body, but it's not a government body per se it is it is anglers who uh, take a look at it consider all the uh, all the parts of it and whether or not the criteria has been met and only 39 bodies of water in the state of Utah with this designation for gunlock have that status so it's not like every good fishery in the state of Utah is going to be considered a blue ribbon fishery
3: right right and yeah and and, and part of the blue ribbon program too that is kind of I think a big part of it is, you know, along with kind of identifying some of these water bodies that do kind of meet this criteria and are high-quality fishing, um, they also will select other water bodies to kind of make improvements, too. So some of those are currently Blue Ribbon fisheries that they're, you know, kind of enhancing, adding some different amenities, you know, maybe fixing a boat ramp, adding bathrooms, that type of thing. But some of them are not currently Blue Ribbon fisheries, and they're ones that they think, you know, this could be a Blue Ribbon Fishery if we did X, Y, and Z. So some of the funding from this program also goes toward improving other water bodies for fishing. So overall, it's just kind of cool. You know, if you're into fishing in Utah, you know, you should definitely be aware of the Blue Ribbon Fishery Program and kind of pay attention to some of those, you know, projects that they're proposing, but then also just looking at the water bodies that they're kind of highlighting
0: And obviously funding is an issue as well. So these bodies of water that are designated Blue Ribbon Fisheries do get funding from a special fund that is set up for just this program. As you said, it it could be putting piers in to fish from, uh, improving docks, things of that nature. The money that goes to the Blue Ribbon Fisheries this past year, uh, almost a half a million dollars went towards 13 of those projects. And... um, uh, big upgrades, basically, at, like Pelican Lake. Obviously, we've talked about that on this program, some of the monies that were mm-hmm. involved there. Fish Lake, mm-hmm. Lost Creek Reservoir, um, all of those received monies through the Blue Ribbon program as well.
3: It, yeah, right. And, and it all comes because we've had people ask, you know, where is that all the money coming from? You know, it's basically funded by just a portion of the annual fishing license sale. right. So if you're buying a fishing license each year, you're kind of helping to make some of these improvements and to enhance fishing as a whole in Utah. And I mean, like you mentioned, some of those projects have had significant impacts, you know, not only on the fishing quality but also on, you know the fish habitat like with pelican lake for instance you know in in recent years it's had really heavy sediment it's gotten pretty murky there's been a lot of you know big carp problem and so our you know biologists through the funding of this program has been able to kind of address some of those issues and recently installed some you know sediment catchments to kind of clear the water quality and anyway so yeah there's just a lot of good that comes from this program
0: and one of the other things that has come uh, over a million dollars has been used for angler access to more than seven miles of stream corridors and that's and 6 thousand acres of reservoir fishing so I mean that's something that we definitely see firsthand as anglers uh, the ability to be able to get to some of this fishing I know this has become a an issue, obviously, as as more and more areas are built up. We've got less and less angler access areas. And so to be able to secure those is one of those things that I think uh, we should all be grateful for.
3: Yeah, totally. And that's, yeah, that's a big part of the program as well. I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, that is something that, you know, we hear it is hard to get to some of these spots <laughs> that have the really good fishing. And, you know, so we're not only making these improvements at, you know, public reservoirs in you know like gunlock where that is a state park but also some of these streams and things um just trying to kind of overall enhance that that fishing experience here in the state
0: and remember, folks, the reason we had to do this to known the reservoir in the first place was somebody put smallmouth bass in there illegally. It, this is, right. you know, it's a, listen, smallmouth is a great species. We love smallmouth bass. Uh, they're wonderful. We love to catch them and everything else. But there are places that smallmouth belong and places that they're not the best. And Gunlock was not a great habitat for smallmouth. And what it did to the largemouth fishery is it took a trophy largemouth largemouth fishery and uh, stunted it and made it really mediocre largemouth fishing the fact that that has come back now and that we're getting that back again I think is one of the great success stories for for all of us who love to fish largemouth bass
3: yep no I totally agree and yeah I'm, I'm glad that you gave that reminder because that's something we're always trying to tell people yeah. please don't illegally stock. you know don't don't put your goldfish, you know, that you're sick of having as a pet in any of our water bodies, because it really does so much damage, and it takes years, you know, to to kind of get them back to where they were, because, yeah, we had to treat the, you know, Gunlock Reservoir in 2015, and now, you know, four years later, it's finally kind of getting back to where it was, and so... Yeah, that's definitely a great reminder.
0: Well, the cost is is uh, something. I mean, aside from the ethics of it and everything else, just the sheer cost of having to to treat that, and I don't know what that project costs, but I am sure it's in the millions to be able to treat that, and then the hours of biologists working on it, and then you had the transplant situation. Plus, you had the fact that it was mm-hmm. down for those years, not able to be a useful resource for for those anglers that, uh, that want to fish it as well. When you compound all the costs and figure, out everything i mean it's a fortune because of the unfortunate activities of of several people
3: no you're totally right and and you know that is and it's also you know as part of that cost we're stocking a lot of these water bodies and so that's a lot of wasted fish most of the time and then we have to you know grow and raise fish or purchase fish from out of state and restock and transport them down and so it is there's just a lot that goes into it and so Yeah, we definitely want people to enjoy fishing and to be able to take advantage of these opportunities and, yeah, to not jeopardize these opportunities. (laughs)
0: Well, this is one of the great success stories, and I'll tell you, as an angler, as I said, who, who enjoyed gun lock back in the 80s and the 90s, uh, I am thrilled to see that it comes back like this, because it does. It produces some great fish. We know Sand Hollow does. We know Quail Creek does, and now we have the, really that third leg of the pyramid down there that produces big bass for the, uh, the southern part of the state of Utah, and uh, wow, it's, uh, it's great to have it back again, and uh, the opportunity to to pick another another bass lake where you're going to get that opportunity a trophy as well
3: yeah yeah and along with that largemouth bass you know we also stock Uh bluegill and crappie down there and so yeah it's just a fun opportunity to go fishing right it is also a state park like you would mentioned and so there's you know you can camp and make it a whole weekend kind of thing there's a lot of good hiking so there's just yeah it's a great part of the state and there's There's a lot of great opportunities for recreation.
0: Well, Faith, thanks for joining us on this uh, holiday weekend, and I hope you had a great Thanksgiving and that you continue it for a couple of days and maybe just extend that vacation a little bit longer. I've got a feeling somehow you won't be able to, though.
3: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, your feeling is correct, but one can dream.
0: All righty. Hey, thanks again, Faith, and uh, we'll be talking to you soon, okay?
3: Okay, thanks for having me
0: on. You bet. That's Faith Heaton-Jolly, who is the public information officer for the State Division of Wildlife Resources, talking about the latest in the blue-ribbon fishery. Actually, it's a return to s- the blue-ribbon status for Gunlock Reservoir now that it has been uh, rote known, it has been cleaned up, it has been reintroduced with fish, uh, bass largemouth bass, bluegill, uh, crappie as well. It's just a great opportunity now, and especially, maybe it's a little late in the season and uh, the weather may be turning a little chilly back there, but if you'll head down come spring, I guarantee you, next spring's bass fishing, Gunluck is going to be one of those waters that is going to start making some headlines again here in the state of Utah. That's going to do it for us. We are just about uh, out of time for yet another Inside the Outdoors, and we want to thank our guests, thank Faith, obviously, for being on the program, for Gary and for George and thanks, most importantly to you for listening and joining us every Saturday morning between 8 and 9 on 97.5 The Zone. Uh, we, uh, we hope we have a good show for you every week. We appreciate your support and we'll try and stay on top of what's going on as we head into this winter season now and believe me, we are there. We'll talk to you again next Saturday. Until then, as always, my friends, take care, enjoy the outdoors and you have been warned.